see. Yeah, there we go. All right. So we are going to be in Matthew chapter 7 again today. We are getting close to the conclusion of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. I think it's interesting. I think if you were to, to sit and read it in one setting, it's, it's about a 15 to 20 minute read um, that, that Chris and I have stretched over about a 16 week period of time or so. No, I'm kidding. Um, no, but it is great to be able to dig in deep into the teachings of Jesus and, and look at what he says. And it has been a blessing to me um, as I have been in it and studying it and hearing it and, and reading it over and over again to just kind of get it into, into my heart so that, that I understand the depths of, of our Lord and what he's teaching us more and more. And I pray that, that you have been able to do the same through this time as we've been spending it in the Sermon on the Mount. Today we're going to be in Matthew 7, verses 13 through 23. If you've got your Bible, uh, go ahead and open it up there. If not, that's fine. It'll be up on the screen. As we dive into the word this morning, let's go ahead and hear the word of the Lord. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? And do many mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, we just come to you um, wanting to honor your name, wanting to glorify your name, wanting to make you known in our community. Father, we look at this, this particular passage and we see how your sovereignty and your might are here. And we see, Lord, that, that this, is, this is a difficult passage for some of us. That the, Some of these words, that to even read them, are challenging. But we want to thank you for giving us words of challenge, giving us words that are, that are difficult to hear, giving us words that, that cause us to, to reflect on our relationship with you. Challenge us today, Father, as we dive into this. Speak to our hearts, convict us, draw us to you by your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. We know that, that our life is always filled with, with decisions and choices. Right? We, we, we get this. You, you wake up in the morning, do I get a 
Do I get a, a muffin or do I eat a candy bar on my way to work? Well, neither one are good for me, so they're making two bad choices, right? Or, or, or whatever we're doing. There's always choices around us. And we know that Scripture speaks to this. Joshua calls the people of Israel to choose between the gods of the Canaanites and the one true God as he's, he's speaking to them in Joshua chapter 24. Psalm 1, as you read through Psalm 1, calls us to choose between the way of righteousness and the way of the wicked. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 19 through 20, Moses is speaking and he says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today. Or God is speaking to the people of Israel and says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them, is calling for God's people to... We see this. We see that the Deuteronomy is calling for God's people to choose life and to choose Him and to choose Him alone. And Jesus, as He's starting to wrap up the Sermon on the Mount that is, that is really directed first to those 12 that are seated there closest to Him, and then to the other followers who are kind of in the behind, there's like a ripple effect of folks who are kind of listening. Jesus is beginning to wrap up this Sermon on the Mountain, and as he's getting into his conclusion, he gives all who are listening some warnings. And he's given them warnings, but they're posed as choices and decisions. He asks his disciples, as, as they're gathered there here, first off, to, to choose between the difficult road with a narrow gate that leads to life eternal or an easy road with a wide gate that leads to life of eternal destruction. Jesus asks his disciples to choose between a good tree with good fruit or a bad tree with bad fruit. And Jesus wants us to choose between a, a true confession with true obedience or a false confession filled with disobedience. See, as Jesus concludes the Sermon on the Mount, he's, he's telling the listener that they are either with Jesus or they're against Jesus. There's no in-between. Some of the most difficult parts of Scripture to read out loud is when Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And when he says, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You're with him or you're not. And there's no in between. And that's tough. And that's hard. And, and Jesus is calling us to look at that and to think about that. And he's calling us to this this way of eternal life through the narrow gate. And Jesus alone is the narrow gate. And that way is hard. And that way is hard is because it seeks to honor God and it seeks to please God rather than to seek the approval of man. And in a world that does not like God, in a world that is an enemy to God, seeking to please and honor God, to be obedient to the God of all creation is going to be difficult. Because the world's going to look at you and go, you're foolish. 
and you're ridiculous. And he gives us this command, though, when he tells us to enter by the narrow gate. He's calling us to make decisive and immediate action. He's calling his followers to, to enter the gate and to take a path that leads to eternal life. And there's urgency in Jesus telling us this. There's urgency to get to the narrow gate. And the urgency is because the gate that is wide and what it, that wide gate leads to, it looks like it's so easy to go in. You just follow the crowd and you're in the big wide gate and you're going down the easy road. But the big wide gate that leads to the easy road also leads us to destruction and eternal death. In the words of Jesus here, he's also telling us that sadly, and it should break our hearts, that sadly the, the gate and the road that is, that is the one that is wide and easy is the one that is most often widely traveled as well. That many go down that path. And the wide gate is the easy road, right? It's large, it's attractive. A lot of people walk this path. It's popular, it's a well-known road. The weird thing is, is that ideologically, it's not a narrow way of thinking, right? It sounds good. It's, you're open-minded. You're thinking about all sorts of things, right? Well, but in that open-mindedness, in that wide road, that easy road, that wide gate, all moral restraint is cast aside. The wide gate is an anything-goes mentality. You do you. You do you is one of the worst things we can say to people when we should be calling them to the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, the, the wide road makes us think that we're, we're all going to the same place, Right? And to an extent, that is true. They are all going to the same place. And it doesn't matter whether or not they're taking exits left or right. But there's been a lie told about that wide road. That that wide road is going to lead you wherever you want to go. The wide road, and it doesn't matter if you go left, if you go right, if you stay in the middle lane, if you take an off-ramp, the wide road leads to hell and destruction. Jesus is saying that to us here. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many. See, the, the truth is, is the wide gate and the easy road lead to destruction. And it's not just destruction, it's also eternal punishment and separation from God. It's the narrow gate that leads to life. And leads to an eternal life. This is the road that Jesus calls us to travel. Yet he calls it hard. I want you to travel the hard road. But I don't even have good tires. Come on, I don't need to travel the hard road if I got bad. No, Jesus is going to give you the tires to get there. He wants you to travel. He calls it hard. But why does he call that path and that road hard? It's hard because few will find it. Few will hear the call. This is one of the things that, that breaks our heart. And it should break your heart, church, to know that as much as we can proclaim the gospel and we give it out, not everyone will be saved. That is a heartbreaking truth. 
But there's also the truth that there's only one road that leads to heaven. And that road is paved with Jesus. He is the gate that we have to enter by. Jesus is calling us to choose between a narrow gate that leads to life and a wide gate that leads to destruction. He's giving us the information that we need to know. And he gives us the command, enter by the narrow gate. Next, Jesus is telling us to beware of false prophets. Beware false prophets. Right there, first thing he says in verse 15. He's calling his disciples to be discerning of professed prophets when they come into their midst. To think closely, to think tightly, to, to think carefully about what you're hearing other people say about spiritual matters. Discernment is not a bad thing. It is a gift of God and we should be using it. The life of the prophet and the results of the prophet's influences on others are the fruits that we're going to look at. Those fruits are going to indicate whether that message is consistent with the message of Christ that leads to the kingdom of God. And we've got to look for that and watch for that. See, false teachers are very deceptive. He says, they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. They're deceptive. They come in in wolves as sheep's clothing. And, And the disciples of Jesus, the disciples then, the disciples now, and all the disciples yet to come, we have to keep our spiritual guard up. We must be spiritually discerning, testing every teaching by the scriptures, testing every teaching we hear by the, by the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've got to notice these things. We've got to pay attention. Jesus says that the false teachers can be detective, detected. You will recognize them by their fruits. They can be detected. Grapes are grapes. Figs are figs. Grapes don't come from thorn bushes, right? Figs don't come from from thistles. Grapes are grapes and figs are figs. And we need to look to make sure that the grapes we're getting are grapes. The figs we're getting are figs and not something that looks false. Good fruit comes from good trees and bad fruit comes from bad trees. I find it interesting that Jesus gives us our first little bit of a beware of false prophets here in Matthew chapter 7. When it feels like, and anytime Chris and I have, have preached through any of Paul's letters, it feels like Paul spends a majority of his time writing to the early church in the first century to beware of false teachers. It was a plague upon the church then. It is a plague upon the church now. Guard yourselves against this. We've said that that good fruit comes from good trees, bad fruit comes from bad trees. In the same way, good teaching comes from real prophets and bad teaching comes from false prophets. Good teaching comes from true teachers. Bad teaching comes from false teachers. This is how it is. And there are two different tests we can look at that we we can kind of use to discern false teachers within a community of faith. We should test them doctrinally. And then we should also test them practically. Testing a teacher doctrinally means to check and see if what they teach 
aligns with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is what they're saying in line with what you have been told the gospel is? Is it in line with what you see the gospel is according to Scripture? Do they teach salvation by grace alone, through faith alone? Does their teaching add or subtract from the person or from the work of Jesus Christ? Do they add requirements or even prerequisites for salvation? Are they, are they doing things left and right like that, little things? Are they distorting things just slightly? You go, well, I don't know that I see it that way in Scripture. Is the core message that they give the same core message that Jesus gives? That's what you need to look at. Then testing a teacher practically means you ask questions like, do they divide the people of God? Do they expect people to live to standards they do not hold themselves to? Do they seem legalistic on one hand, yet act like the grace of Christ allows them to do as they please on the other hand? Do they allow for people to come into their lives and say, hey, I'm not sure you're saying the right thing there. Do they allow that accountability from others through Scripture, or do they shun it? Do, they see, do, do you see them living out the gospel and living out the greatest commandment the way Jesus has taught us to do it? These are questions we need to ask ourselves as we're looking at false teachers or any teacher and to determine whether or not they are true or they're a false teacher. Watching doctrine, watching their practice in a teacher can expose the bad fruit, will expose that bad teacher. Here's what we also know about these false teachers. And Jesus is is speaking some harsh words here, but this is what he says. He says, those false teachers will be destroyed. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Verse 19. False teachers have a sealed fate. False teachers are on that easy road that leads to that wide gate, which is eternal separation from God. And unfortunately, those false teachers like to drag people along that road with them. And people who follow false teachers are traveling that same road. And they may share that same fate. This is hard, but this is the Word of God. Part of the reason why we are to look and see whether or not there's good teaching, false teaching, is to help bring those who are maybe under it, out of it. There are off-ramps that we can get them on, that lead them to the narrow road and the narrow gate. Jesus is calling you to choose between good tree that produces good fruit and a bad tree that chooses bad fruit. Are you choosing good, solid, biblical teaching? Are you choosing the things that people want to hear? Are you choosing bad teaching? Church, choose Good biblical teaching. Verse 21, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. I 
When I look at this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. This is one of the most frightening phrases I believe I've ever seen recorded by Jesus in Scripture. This, this should drive in us, every one of us, whether it's me, whether it's Chris, Lee, anyone who is hearing this, this should drive us to ask ourselves the, this, this way. Not, not ask myself, do I know Jesus? But ask the question, does Jesus know me? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the question. Does Jesus know me? See, an oral confession of Jesus Christ or, or even a public baptism does not always indicate a repentant heart. And Jesus himself is saying that here. See, we give evidence that we know Jesus and are known by Jesus by our obedience. Jesus wants us to understand that, that we can profess Jesus, but he could see that profession of faith as false or inauthentic. That's the worst kind of loss I think a person can have. Where they have, have been told that because they walked an aisle, they said a prayer, they got wet in a congregation in front of people, that they're okay, and that Jesus is ready for them to enter the kingdom of heaven when they have never made a repentant heart and a show a life of repentance or show a life of obedience to the word. And I fear that our community and our communities are filled with those who have done just that. And it hurts my heart. Because Jesus says, the one who does the will of my Father in heaven, that is the one. That is the true test of a, of a confession in faith. Right? The, 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 there's a transformed heart and an obedient follower of Christ. Obedience to the word, obedience to the teachings of Jesus. That is evidence that the profession of faith in Jesus Christ is true. See, we give evidence that, that we do know Jesus and that we are known by Jesus, by our obedience to Jesus. But unfortunately, we give evidence that we do not know Jesus and that we are not known by Jesus by our disobedience. Three different times in verses 22 through 23, those who have a false profession of faith claim that they served in Jesus' name. Did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Three times, these folks who had a false profession of faith thought they were serving in Jesus' name. See, these, these false disciples, they, they may exercise some power in Jesus' name, but unfortunately their activities are, are meaningless. And they deceive themselves, and they may deceive other believers. 
They may be seeking out attention for what they do. The, these mighty works that they have claimed to have done in the name of, of Jesus, there's not necessarily proof of doing God's will. Mighty works can, can come from other sources. Some mighty works could be demonic. Others could just be from human effort, human might, and human ability. Jesus is calling you to choose between a genuine confession of an obedient follower and the false profession of the disobedient. When I look at this, I think, man, this is, this is a tough passage. This is challenging when I, when I see this, that, that all that is here and how important it is for me as a follower of Christ to stay close to Jesus But if I've never surrendered my life to Jesus, if I had, had never done anything for Christ, if I have never said, Jesus, I know I'm failed and flawed and I need you, then these passages aren't necessarily for me anyway. If I've never confessed a life to Jesus Christ, if I've never surrendered myself to him, I'm already on the wide road and the wide gate. And I'm just heading that way. And there's nothing I can do to, to get off. I can think I'm taking off ramps. I can do all sorts of stuff on my own. But I'm not getting off. The only way to get off that wide road is Jesus yanking me off that wide road and putting me through the narrow gate. I don't do it. I'm already part of a bad tree that produces bad fruit unless I have Jesus taking me off that road. Without Christ, without Christ, you will hear, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. There's no way around that. But the beautiful thing is, is that we look at this, Jesus offers an assurance of hope in eternity. He gives that to us. We know that we are sinful and rebellious people. We have rebelled against God and his truth. And we have done that since, since Genesis chapter 3 in the fall. Adam and Eve in the garden. And because we are sinful, rebellious people, we deserve death and eternal separation from his good favor. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We know that that's taking place. And we also know that the wages of sin are death. That's what we have earned for what we have done. But God in his love, and I, and I love this part of it, God in his love for the people that he created designed a way for the rebel to become a saint. God has loved us enough that he said, no, I know you can't rescue yourselves. That's not what rescue means. I will design a way for you to be rescued. I will rescue those who I call out Jesus, who is God in human flesh, came and lived among us. He's preaching to us here about choosing the way of him. He lived among us, and in his life here on earth, he fulfilled all of the law that you and I could not fulfill. And he has done for us what we could never do. He has paid the sacrifices once and for all for us that we could never pay. 
He rescues us. He takes our sin. He takes our shame. And he places them on the cross with his body. And he willingly pays for our sin. And he sacrifices himself for our sake. Jesus was then raised from death to provide the only way for us to be rescued and the only way for us to be restored to right relationship with God. We just must ask Jesus to forgive us and to rescue us. And when we do this, Jesus brings a new life to us. He begins a new work in us. He begins creating something new, changing us, making us new creatures in him. And God, through Jesus, renews all aspects of our lives. And only through Jesus can we be new in him. If you've not surrendered yourselves to Jesus, I encourage you to do that today. If you're feeling him tug at you, he's saying, hey, choose me. Choose him when he tugs at your heart. When you feel that conviction, go to him. If we're already followers of Christ, praise God that he has rescued us from the mire. He has pulled us off that wide and easy road that leads to death and destruction. Praise God that he is keeping us from false teachers. But as followers of Christ, we have to consider some things. And as we consider these gates, we must remember that that Jesus himself is the narrow gate that leads to the Father. And when we consider the the teachers we follow, we should consider what what Peter, Jesus' apostle, said to Jesus in John chapter 6, verses 68 and 69, when he said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. When we consider our confession and our obedience, we should consider the words of Jesus as, as John recorded them in verse four, or chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. As you hear Jesus calling you today, as you hear him, choose obedience. Choose righteousness. Choose life. Choose his way. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, I just thank you. I thank you for for challenging passages. I thank you for difficult passages. I thank you for being a God who, who when you preach to us, you don't preach to us hard things without hope. You don't give us difficult passages of Scripture without hope and understanding. Thank you for that. Fathers, we we see this and we see what you're teaching us here about entering in a narrow gate. Having a true confession. watching out for false prophets and false teachers and and looking to bear good fruit for you. We know that we can only do any of those things because you have rescued us through Jesus Christ, your son, and the work he has done on the cross. Father, that is our only hope. Thank you for giving us such a great hope. 
continue to draw us close to you, continue to challenge us to, to choose your way above our own in all that we do. Have us seek you above all else. Father, let us take the message of hope that comes from rescuing Jesus Christ to a community that desperately needs to hear it. And it's in Jesus' name I pray.